Uh, we're going to have our, our Bible reading now. So if you want to turn with me in uh, your Bibles, um, in the Pew Bible, it's, it's page 994, and it's Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 to 30. So Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, that's page 994. This is the parable of the talents. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of, the, of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good morning. Morning and welcome back to our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Throughout the last few weeks, our, our prayer as a church family has been that we wouldn't just treat this as a checklist of moral virtues just to, to tick off and move on, but rather each week we would look to the character of Christ and then what we might become more like him. We've been looking at Galatians and Paul says there that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's no small task, and so as we begin to look at faithfulness today, as ever will need us help. So let's pray as we begin. Father God, we ask this morning again that you would fill us with your Spirit so we might become more like your Son, Jesus we thank you for your word and we ask that you would show us clearly again the kind of faithfulness you want from your people 
and that with your help we might leave this place with a renewed sense of love and devotion for you. Amen. Well, let's jump straight into the passage that we read a few moments ago, and that'll help us get a grasp of what faithfulness looks like. It's Matthew chapter 25. Um, If you've closed it, do open it again, and do keep it open in front of you as we go through it. The parable of the talents. It's a section in Matthew's gospel where he spent a fair bit of paper and ink telling the reader about Jesus' teaching about his return. Several times over the last couple of chapters, Jesus reminds his disciples that he's, they need to be ready, that he will return without warning. In the previous chapter, chapter 24, he talks a lot about this as well. And in a passage that mirrors the one that we read this morning, he asks, who then is the faithful and wise servant? In other words, who is it that I can trust to be ready when I return? The parable of the talents carries on in a similar vein. I'm going away. I'm coming back. How are you going to go about your life when I'm gone? And it gave us a great picture of what faithfulness looks like as we wait upon Christ's return. I'm just going to pull out four things this morning from this passage. Firstly, being faithful is about being trustworthy. Faithful people are reliable people. They're people you can count on. The master of the estate is heading away for a journey. And like any good business or property owner, he wants to make sure that while he's away, his assets are going to be taken care of. So he pulls some of the servants together and he entrusts his wealth to them. He's hopeful that as he gives over these these talents for them to manage, that they are people that he can rely on. They're people of integrity and that, most importantly, they'll seek what's best for him. See, he's not going to be away in some foreign land managing this. No, he completely gives it over to them. He's not going to be on an iPad checking his portfolio of stocks and shares. For these servants to be faithful, they have to be completely trustworthy. And they've got to have the master's interests at the forefront of their minds. Being faithful is about being trustworthy. Do you live your life with integrity? Last week, Stephen ended his sermon um, with the challenge to be good. How are you getting on with that this week? Are you someone that can be trusted, that can be relied upon by your neighbors, your colleagues, your family? Do you use the gifts and the time and the energy and the money that God has given you in positive ways? Faithfulness requires a heart that seeks to use all these things for the good of the Father and the good of others. Faithfulness is to be trustworthy, and it's also to show that kind of trustworthiness over a long period of time. That's the second point. Faithfulness has a a longevity about it because we're told that the master doesn't come back for a long time. We don't know exactly how long that is, but the implication is that the servants have not simply been asked to manage this wealth, to be faithful for a short while, but must have had to keep on and keep on going. They must have wondered, when is he coming back? Again, in chapter 4, we read that we don't know the day or the hour of his return, and some may turn away. 
The servant might start out working faithfully and diligently, but as time goes on, they say, my master is delayed, so he no longer remains faithful to his master's best interests. So to be faithful is to persevere in doing the master's will again and again and again. Folks, the call to take up your cross and follow Christ isn't an easy one. It's a long road and it's a given that we're going to stumble from time to time. But faithful men and women keep going no matter what. Eugene Peterson says that faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. A third thing to note then, be faithful in the little things. It's interesting, I think, that the master doesn't give each servant the same amount of money. Twenty gives five talents, another two, and the thirty gives one. In verse 15, each according to his ability. But yet when the master returns and settles the accounts, there's no difference in the way he treats them. What matters, it seems, is not how much money they have made, but their attitude and their faithfulness to what they have been given. He treats the man with, with five talents and the man with two exactly the same. You've been faithful with a few things, he says, so I will put you in charge of many things. Perhaps you're not sure where to start. This kind of faithfulness, when it comes to this fruit, this is maybe something that's reserved for people who are doing big things. Overseas missionaries or church leaders or no faithful people are faithful in the little things. Faithfulness is making a little time in the morning to spend it with your father. Faithfulness is endeavoring to pray for your teammates or your colleagues or your spouse or your children. Faithfulness is making it a priority to get along to a discipleship group to encourage and challenge your brothers and sisters in Christ. Faithfulness is using what you've been given, whether one talent or ten for the glory of God. And most of the time, faithfulness actually is quiet. Be faithful in the little things. Fourth and finally then, faithfulness leads to joy. Faithfulness leads to joy. The master returns and he's delighted with the first two servants. His trust has been repaid. His servants have indeed been faithful, full of integrity and honesty and devoted to his best interests. They've persevered, they've committed and they've been faithful to what they've been entrusted with. And because of that, they get to hear those beautiful words that every Christian longs for. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's not simply a pat on the back, but rather he invites them then to share in his happiness. We aren't slaves, but rather God invites us to sit at his table and share in his inheritance. I don't know if any of you have caught some of the European championships that have been on TV this week. And it always strikes me when something like that is on the Olympics or a big event, the sacrifice and the effort the athletes put in. Countless hours away from the cameras, away from the public eye, faithfully working so that they might win the race. And it also strikes me that every time I see them get up on that podium, it's worth it. 
the elation they feel is worth the, the countless hours of grueling training. Faithfulness leads to joy. I said earlier that so often it seems like the hard road. Faithfulness requires diligence and hard work, but it is the best way. If you, if you look back to our, our series in Deuteronomy last year, we, we said time and time again to choose God's way was to choose life. To choose faithfulness is to choose joy. And we see that, don't we, in this passage, that the, the, the man that doesn't, that isn't faithful, the one who takes the easy way out, the one uh, with his own interests in mind, there's no joy at the story for him. I said earlier that uh, the fruit of the Spirit isn't simply a shopping list from Paul and moral living. It's not about ticking them off and moving on. But rather, Paul says, living with the Spirit's help to come more like Jesus, um, we need to look to him. Our faithfulness is no different. To best understand what it looks like to be a faithful man or woman, let's look at the faithfulness of Christ and what faithfulness it is. Turn over the page um, to Matthew 26, uh, and let me take you to the Garden of Gethsemane. Read from verse 36. The triumphal entry has been and gone. The Passover meal has been eaten, and now Jesus knows that his time has come. He takes his disciples to the garden just outside the city, a place of solitude where he might find some refuge, where he can pray and pour out his heart to his Father. Nowhere else do we see such anguish and horror over the prospect of the cross. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is Christ, utterly broken, as he rests with what he is about to undertake. To understand what he's about to undertake, um, we read on. He goes a little further and he falls with his face to the ground. And in this picture of agony, he prays, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. This cup he speaks of is the cup of the Lord's wrath that we read about in Isaiah chapter 51. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl the cup of staggering. And Isaiah goes on to describe this, this wrath, devastation, destruction, famine, desolation, punishment and judgment for all the wicked. And Jesus knows he's about to drink from this cup. See, his agony is not about the physical pain he's about to endure, as horrific as that will be. His agony is not about the humiliation of being abandoned by every one of his closest friends and disciples, as heartbreaking as that will be. Christ's agony is because he knows that at Golgotha, nailed to a cross, he was going to drink the cup of God's burning anger down to the dregs. Every last drop of God's wrath meant for you and for me poured out scalding and undiluted on the Savior. His agony is because he knows that on that cross, his Father, with whom he shared perfect relationship throughout all of history, will turn his face away and leave him completely abandoned and broken. And so he cries out, there must be another way. 
Father, anything but this. But there is no other way. The Father is silent. The only way we could live is that our sin is put on him and his righteousness on us. The cup was ours to drink, yet he drinks it to the dregs. And that's the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he does it for us. He goes through with it. And in this, he shows his faithfulness like nowhere else. Yet not as I will, but as you will, he says. That we might adopt a similar attitude, because that's what faithfulness is. Not as I will, but as you will. And he also shows his faithfulness to you and me. We don't deserve any of it. I'm sorry to say, but there's, there's nothing particularly beautiful or attractive about us. But yet he chooses to love us, to be faithful to us. We see throughout the Old Testament God's faithfulness to his people, and we see it again here in Christ's unwavering, undying faithfulness to us. There's no other way than drinking from this cup. Okay, for the sake of God's people whom, I'm, whom I love, I'll drink it. I will become sin so that they will become righteous. That's real faithfulness. I don't know how you feel when you read over those verses. Um, when it comes to being faithful, how are you getting on? I have to say, as, as, I, as I read those, as I prepare for this, I can't help think but how far, uh, how far short I fall. I, we look at the example there and I see my own unfaithfulness. But I find comfort as we read about another guy who knows what it's like to fall short again and again. Fast forward again from Gethsemane. And Peter is in the courtyard of the high priest. Christ, we've seen, is faithful. But Peter, having already fallen asleep in the garden, remember, denies knowing him not once but three times. His best friend his saviour, the one who rescued him and called him back when he was a fisherman. He repays him with complete unfaithfulness. What a failure. And at that moment, that as he catches Jesus' eye, his whole world crumbles. There's no way I'm coming back from this. But um, John chapter 21 paints a beautiful picture of Christ's faithfulness to us. Jesus has risen again, and he takes Peter aside on the beach. He restores him, he tells him that he's going to lead his church. And he says simply, right as he did back at the start of his ministry, Peter, follow me. See, Peter couldn't do enough to remove himself from the sphere of Christ's faithfulness. And the good news is, neither can you or I. It's our unfaithfulness that makes the faithfulness of God all the more remarkable. To send Christ to the cross for righteous, lovable, faithful people would be one thing. But Jesus died for us despite our unfaithfulness. He died knowing we'd turn our backs on him and get it wrong. Yet he remained faithful. 
So when it comes to faithfulness, let's look to Jesus. Just as he was trustworthy, so would we be pillars of reliability and integrity in our community. Being faithful to God means cultivating a dependability, a trustworthiness, and an honesty that shines for the world to see. As we look to him as he, uh, as, as he was selfless, so let's bend over backwards to accommodate our neighbor, our colleague, even when we don't like them. Be faithful in the little things. And just as he was concerned only with his father's will, would we be men and women who bend the knee daily to say, not my will, but yours? Because faithfulness looks to him and resolves to keep on living for him no matter what. As we saw earlier in that passage we read, our master will one day return. And what a day that will be. Let us look forward to the reward we have as his children, an inheritance that will never spoil or fade, all things made right and a joy unending. Remember, faithfulness leads to joy. So let us live faithful lives that on that last day we'll hear our Lord and Savior say those precious words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness.